Hey, happy Mother's Day. So glad you could take some time to join me for Mother's Day. <clears throat> Hopefully you'll be getting out and doing some things with mom later on. Whatever that looks like in this COVID, new, whatever, isolation, mask wearing thing. But here's the deal. Hey, I'm glad it's Mother's Day. And the reality is, is we have a special gift for you if you're a mom. Uh, make, take some time, fill out the Connect card. And on the Connect card, there's actually a different button that says, hey, I'm a mom. Click that. Hey, if I don't care... If you feel like a mom or not, you need to be a mom, okay? Dads, don't click the button just because moms are getting a free gift. That doesn't work, okay? Got to be a mom. Got to be legit. We're taking you on your, your own integrity there, but click the button. Um, a little different with that, too. You have to put in your address because we have some addresses for some, and we're not sure if we have addresses for others. And uh, the gift that we're going to be doing, we're going to be sending to you uh, via mail. So we want to make sure we've got your uh, mail. So take a little bit of extra time to fill out the Connect card this week. Hey, as we think about Mother's Day, I know for some of us, it's, it has a different kind of feel. So for me, my mom's been in heaven now for 22 years, so it's got a definitely a different kind of connotation. And um, one of the things that has been difficult for me is uh, just remembering my mom each Mother's Day, but also keeping her memory where it should be. And you know, uh, as we come into the book of James, one of the things that came to my mind, I, I went and got my mom's Bible. It's a pink Bible. It's a King James only. Um, I brought it with me. Um, Maybe I'll even put a post of it uh, tomorrow for you on Facebook. But inside of it, when you open it up, um, it's just nice to have something like that from your mom. And as I was reading it, I'm thinking about this book of James. I came back to the fact that James, who we're going to be studying for the next few weeks, um, had a wonderful mom and Mary. And, and so with that relationship, it's significant. And when I look at that relationship, one of the things that came immediately to my mind is that Mary treasured up all the things that were happening with Jesus and she pondered them, it says, in the Gospel of Luke, um, second chapter, 18 19, you can find that. And so what's beautiful about that is when I think about opening up this new book of James and it being on Mother's Day, I can see the connection. And you can see how Mary's faith impacted James. I'm sure Jesus's faith also impacted him. And I think you'll see that as we begin to go through this book together. Now, as we look at the book of James, let me just frame it for you. The book of James has some, some dynamics to it that's very cool. Um, not only was um, he you know, the son of Mary and the half-brother of Jesus, but he also based his book on a couple key features. He pulled a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. He pulled a lot from Proverbs, which would have been part of his Jewish heritage. And he also pulled a lot from, you know, the, the law as far as loving God and loving other people. And he pulled those things together in this very tangible, really boiled down nuts and bolts, part of how faith should be lived out book. And so when you look at this, when we were talking about how do we present this to you to start this series, we talked about vitals. And when you think about vitals, you know, vital metrics, vital characteristics, vitals for us physically, vitals for us spiritually, there's certain things that you measure. And like when you go to the doctor, whether it's for a normal visit or you end up at the ER or you're even in the ambulance, one of the first things they check are your vitals. And from that, they can determine, are you healthy or is there some level of unhealth that needs to be dealt with? And so when we look at this, we need to ask the question, what's vital to the Christian faith? And I think this is an amazing question because it's at the heart of, I think, why James wrote this book. He wanted you and I and the people in Jerusalem and the, and the Christians that were scattered out of Jerusalem to all over the world, the Jewish Christians especially, to know what's vital to this journey. You know, in this season, 
with COVID-19, one of the things they're learning is one of the vitals is pulse ox, how much oxygen is in, uh, you're able to process, and uh, even more so than temperature. And so some of the doctors are now starting to to ask the question, what should we measure? Should be temperature for the possibility of the infection be the first thing we should measure? Or should we start to measure pulse ox? Because they're saying it's the first indication possibly that someone is dealing with this particular illness. Now, that kind of question is not only something that people ask all the time about physical and medical, but it should be a question that you and I ask about spiritual issues. What are the things that are vital? And before we can get to the things that should be vital that James is going to talk about in this book that we're going to study, we should ask the question, what do we, what do we now consider to be vital? I think if you look at our culture, you're going to find there's some things that we already think are vital. The first thing I think that you would say is vital to especially the American culture is entertainment. It's entertainment. Did you know that entertainment in our culture, in our, where we live, is a $700 billion a year market? So we as Americans spend about $700 billion just on the concept of entertainment, whether it's TV, whether it's reading, uh, whether it's uh, video games, all these things are wrapped into this. Now, here's, the, here's one of the reasons I think we spend so much money on entertainment and why we find it to be so vital. I think we look at it as a vital because we need an escape. Many times we want to escape the reality of life. We want to escape what's happening around us. I think that's really true right now. And the problem with escape is it, it gives us a temporary escape, but it doesn't help us a lot of times to deal with the reality of life. And that's a problem. It, it creates kind of a, a fantasy world that we can live in only temporarily, but then we get shocked back into reality. So how vital is it really? One of the areas I've thought about this a lot is video games. If you're a gamer, you understand that you can find yourself lost in a temporary reality for a season. Now, it's one thing to say this is a hobby and I do this occasionally, but I think there's a whole group of people and research seems to agree that find this escape so often and they don't want to live in reality that it becomes almost an addiction. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is at the heart of the problem when entertainment has such a high vital. I, I saw this lived out in the churches. It encroaches into the church because remember, the church is a collection of who we are as a group of people. And uh, I remember one time I was trying to select people to, to lead our worship team to sing. And I had someone that was a part of this, was a larger staff I was a part of that said, hey, I don't think that person should sing. And the reasoning for that person not singing is they said, I just don't think they meet the bar. I said, well, what's the bar? And when it came to entertainment at that point in our culture, American Idol was huge. And the staffer that said this said, I think that that's the bar. And I said, wait a minute, that's a TV, hyper-produced, narrow group of people that, that you know, the, the quality of the vocals of that person is way beyond what's normal. In fact, if you go out into an average place, to an average place of even entertainment in our culture, that's not the quality of vocals you would get. And so we look at What's at the heart of that is it that we're to entertain and then we've got to meet that bar to create a facade, a temporary, you know, unreality to help people escape? Or should we bring people into reality? What's more vital there and what's the thing that we should measure? You know, we have this conversation right now at Grace and I love our worship team. In fact, you heard some really unique way of us sharing this week, but I love the fact that our team has said, you know, we're not trying to do this over hyper-produced 
worship production. We just want to connect with our gathering and our folks and people that want to be a part of something that's genuine and real. And that's why we've been doing worship from our homes in different ways, still trying to be creative, still trying to do our very best, but not trying to overproduce something. But I think that rubs us wrong because entertainment's so high of a vital in our culture. The second thing we look at the vitals that typically encroach in on American population is our, our supply and control. We think what's vital to us is supply and especially our control of that supply or control of our lives. You know, early day with this virus, uh, we had people that really were living on what's called the scarcity principle. They thought, you know, things are going to become scarce and they were concerned about the supply factor. And so because of that, they started hoarding everything. I remember um, just maybe a week into this whole thing and I sent my son to the supermarket and I said, hey, can you grab us some, some groceries? He's like, yeah, dad, I'll do that. And I said, thanks, buddy. And he, he ends up there. And I said, hey, while you're there, grab a couple steaks if they've got them. Love to put those on the grill. Um, would enjoy those, especially if they're on sale. So he gets there and he's, he's waiting patiently to get up there and he goes up to get some steaks. And this lady literally rushes up, cuts him off and grabs 50 to 20 steaks off the shelf so that there were none left. Really? And my son just sat there. And knowing him, he's gained some of my personality. I'm surprised he didn't snap a little bit. But I, he, he said, Dad, I was thinking, really? Come on. I mean, and so there's this mindset out there that there, things are scarce, and we have to take control of those situations, especially around the issue of scarcity. It's vital to us as Americans. And in some of my graduate work, I read a great gal named Lynn Twist, and she talked about just what it means to have um, the ability to leverage funds and fundraising to help alleviate poverty and different things that are happening around us in the world. And she challenges this idea because it comes out of a competitive market. It's one of the outcomes of that. And she says, when we believe there's not enough, that resources are scarce, then we accept that some will have that what they need and some will not. We rationalize that someone is destined to end up essentially with the short end of the stick. And I think this has happened in American culture and it's happening around us because what's vital to us is to know that we've got the angle on the supply, that we're going to be the one not on the short end of the stick. And connected to that intimately, I think, is the idea of control. Later in the book, I think she's uh, still attacking this. She says, when you let go of trying to, let, uh, to get more of what you don't really need, it frees up oceans of energy to make a difference with what you have. When you, have, when you, when, when you can make a difference with what you have, it expands. In other words, if we were to share those resources, everyone would have enough was what she was trying to present. But we are so controlling. And we think that scarcity is such a reality that it drives us in our thinking. It's vital to us. Under the, and that feeds right into the issue of control, that we have to control our lives. And you know that control in its very essence is an illusion. One of the ways that we begin to see this early on and watching young parents, this is kind of fun. It's not so much fun for them. It reminds me of how it wasn't fun for me, but it's a lot more fun to watch happen for them is when they begin to go into the no phase of parenting. When their kids want this or got to have this or want to touch this and they're now mobile and they're grabbing everything and, and they don't know any different yet. Everything in their life has told them, if I need something, I cry for it. Mom or dad respond and I get it. And now all of a sudden they start hearing this word, no. In fact, parents in that season, that's all they say, right? No, no, no. You can almost see a look on their face and demeanor. No, mom, if you're there, you've been saying that a lot lately, right? No. And you're just trying to help your kid understand there are certain things you want for them 
and there's certain things that you don't want for them and that they're not in control. You as the parent are. What a great lesson for us to learn, especially when we think of our heavenly parent, our heavenly father, that we're really not as in control as we'd like to be. Thank you, Women's Retreat, for doing Control Girl. But the reality is, is God's the one in control and surrendering to his control is something we need to think about. So maybe that vital is not something we should be having vital in our lives when it comes to really seeing things that are important. The third thing is our freedom. And I think um, that feeds into the idea of control, especially. You know, it's foundational components of our life and our government. And I'm all for freedom. I think the freedom is a great thing. I love the fact that we live in one of the freest nations in the world. I think that's an amazing privilege. When you think of the American dream, it's anchored in the idea of the Declaration of Independence and freedom, which proclaims that all men are created equal and are supposed to have equal rights and accessibility to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, but what happens when freedom begins to slam up against the idea of moral truth? Or maybe it slams up against things that just aren't quite right. Like for instance, stolen valor. There's a gentleman who uh, began to wear medals uh, back a few years ago in 2007, and uh, he was wearing medals that he never earned. He was wearing the silver star, he was wearing the bronze star, he was wearing the purple heart, but this person never earned those medals. Now in 2006, George Bush, our president at the time, um, created an act called the Stolen Valor Act that said when people do that, it's, it's, it's actually a misdemeanor and they can be prosecuted under the law. And this person had all of these medals they were wearing and they were telling the story. And so of course they were prosecuted under that. Uh, they petitioned it all the way up to the Supreme Sorry. Court. And in 2012, and in 2012, the Supreme Court looked at this and said, wait a minute, this is a violation of free speech. So all of a sudden, the idea of integrity, moral right, being morally right, uh, representing someone who had, really, who had really earned these awards in combat was then slammed up against the idea of free speech. That even though you're lying, even though you have a lack of integrity, even though you're misrepresenting, our own Supreme Court at the highest level said, we value that over that because it's such a core dynamic of something we consider vital as Americans is our freedom. Uh, President Barack Obama came back and said, in, in trying to, I think, address this and, and bring a balance to it, said, hey, look, um, he made it illegal in 2013 to try to profit from putting on those kind of medals or having a false military record. But the reality is, is there's this tension between the reality of freedom at times and what freedom costs and what's morally behind what the freedom is. And so um, when I think of this, I think, of course, of the sacrifice that Christ made. You know, Christ, who had freedom, gave it up and surrendered all of who he was to purchase freedom on our behalf. And our founding fathers, who founded this nation, did something very similar. They gave away what was precious to them. They gave away their freedom to purchase it for others. So see, freedom loses, I think, its potency when it's devoid of moral character and cost. Because the people that inherit it sometimes don't really appreciate what freedom costs. So sometimes I don't think freedom should be the thing that's vital to us. It's one of the reasons why we shouldn't be out protesting when our freedoms sometimes are infringed on, but really aren't those big of a freedom. You know. So I think you need to really balance and think about 
what your moral responsibility is and what's morally right and morally wrong. So what's vital to us? Again, entertainment, supply and control and freedom. But when we look at the book of James, what do we find was vital to James? And what are the vitals he looked at? We're going to look at that through an, um, just an acrostic. PPE, right now that's a big hot term, right? Uh, personal protective equipment. It's vital. Well, what's vital for you in this season? We look at that. And, you know, we look at the things that we should measure. You know, for medical people, body temperature, pulse rate, heart rate, blood pressure, there's some very similar things <clears throat> in the very letter that James wrote to multiple people scattered across that region. Let's look at those together. <clears throat> and the first one is this, pulse. The first one is this, it's pulse. <clears throat> pulse is the idea of character through trial. Character through trial. So in the rhythm that we're in, when our rhythm gets disrupted, when things kind of slam into us and they're not expected, how do we respond? So let's look at this together. He says, consider it a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you will know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and completely and can complete, not lacking anything, which is one of the themes of James is this idea of completeness, wholeness. And so he says, we should consider it pure joy when we have trials and tribulations because it affects our faith and our faith is connected to our hope. So what are you hoping in this season? What's driving your faith? Is it the government will eventually solve all problems? Is it the government will eventually open? Is it they will give you your supply? Is it that there, there's some stimulus check coming? Where is your faith really? And I think this is something we need to look at, especially coming into the book of James, because what we anchor in is critical when it comes to the dynamic of faith, and it will show really what your pulse is in this season. I had a student one time, and uh, she, she played a really good game, and she knew all the words to, to say when I was in student ministry. But I could always tell she really wasn't sold out to her faith, that, that the pulse and rhythm of her journey was really more about her and about just having good friends that were part of the youth group. Saw that quite often in this young woman. And she lost a close friend, unfortunately, to a horrible car accident that was her same age. And I remember the evening that happened. It was horrible for everyone to process this grief and to process this loss. It was certainly very difficult. But it was the tragedy of that moment that shook her to her core, and she lost her faith. You see, her faith wasn't foundational, built on something that would last. This woman's faith at that point in time, and I hope it's changed for her now, but it was built on just relationships, entertainment, connection, and it wasn't really built on what Christ had done for her because that would have changed the way that she looked at this specific situation. And I think for a lot of people in this season, their faith is being tested. Maybe you're one of those people that your faith is being tested. Do you consider it a pure joy that we're getting to walk through this right now with COVID-19? Do you look at it as the opportunity to develop your faith, to strengthen your faith? to strengthen your bond with your family. You know, love for God doesn't stop when things don't go your way or go the way you think they should. Love for God needs to expand. You know, the way to look at this is if you really love your family, you've got a good relationship with them, especially if you're a parent, your kids can never do anything to remove you from love, right? 
You'll love them no matter what, even when you don't agree with them. Why is it we don't feel the same way about God? God lets something happen that maybe we didn't like or didn't go the way we wanted. Why should that change our love for him? Maybe he knows something that we don't know. Maybe he's trying to perfect something in the character. When you take the vitals test at the end of the message today, uh, one of the things we're going to ask is, what's one trial that you're facing this season? I'd like to know what you're going through because I'd like to pray with you on those trials because I believe God has something he wants to build in you as a result of that. But if we don't name it, we can't pray over it. So that's one of the things we're going to take as a vitals test at the end, and that's the first question. The second thing is, I think James says is vital, is passion. Passion. Love for God and one another. Love for God and one another. This is passion. He says in this book, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So he looks at this, he comes right back to that, that you know, golden rule, but, but more eloquently what Jesus said, which is love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and the second commandment's likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, our passion and love for one another should be one of the things that's a vital test of our faith. You know, when I um, was a teen and went through a lot of hurt, a lot of loss, I found myself very callous and, and hardened and didn't share a lot about what was going on in life. I, um, and I remember specifically, I just quit crying around the age of 14. Nothing can make me cry. Um, it wasn't until I, I gave my life to Jesus at 17 that I got the ability to cry again because somehow my heart was made more tender as a result of this, this good news. It, it affected my area of passion. And now it's, it's almost laughable at times. And my wife picks on me a little bit. I don't think she picks on me. I think she's picking on me. But I'll watch a sappy movie, movie with her, and I'll find myself tearing up as I look at someone's situation or what they're going through. And she's like, you're such a softy. And it's, it's a result of the gospel. It's a result of the good news of what Jesus has done. It's changed the tenderness of my heart. It's changed my passion. And that's a vital characteristic, I believe, of people that have legitimate faith. So where are you in that? The question I'll have at the end of the, the message is, how are you showing someone love in this season? How is that happening? How is it moving away from you to others? Because that will show a vital area of understanding. Another way that you can actually participate and put this to practice is, I don't know if you've done this yet, but sign up for Share the Road, where we actually go out go for some exercise, and we share all that money to an entity that's outside of us, that's, that's Love Inc., Love in the Name of Christ, that's helping people right now that need help. I don't know if you've signed up, but this is the last week you can sign up and still get the free t-shirt. And that link's on the website. I'll put the link in the message today. But the reality is sign up because it's one way that you can take the focus to others and love them. And I think that will develop a passion quotient that's very relevant to the book of James. And you'll see that as we go through this book. The third area of vital, the PPE. So we've got, that we've been looking at this PPE. The last one is exercise. And that's living faith. Exercise your faith. In the book of James, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so, you're, and so deceive yourselves. He talks about doing what it says. The Christian faith is not merely a philosophy, right? It's not just about wisdom. It's not about knowledge. It's not about what you know. It's practical. And there's this component. In fact, when you take uh, the writings of Paul and you take the writings of James and you put them together, you get a fuller gospel. You get a fuller dynamic of the good news, which is here's what we should know, but here's how we should live it out. 
And James is all about how it's lived out. And you and I are going to be challenged over the next few weeks about how we live out our faith. How do you live out your faith? Is it a tangible part of your lives that others can see? Because James says faith without works is dead faith. We're going to look at that really hard over the next few weeks. And so the gospel, if you don't know the gospel, um, I'm sorry to be redundant, but the gospel is the good news that Jesus has accomplished our salvation, not based on us, but based on him, that he died for our sins. And so um, don't ever forget, it's as simple as ABC. We'll continue to do that. Admitting our sin before God, we all need to do that, believing only on what Christ has done for us. It's a love relationship based on what he has done, belief in him alone. And then we commit our lives to him, that there's real action in this. And that's what the gospel, or not the gospel, but the epistle, the letter of James is all about, is about this action component. It's all about the C part of the gospel, the committing part. So again, here's your PPE if you really want to take a vitals test right now in the midst of all this, based on this introduction to the epistle, the letter of James. It has to do with the pulse of your life, the rhythm, what's the character that's being built through the trials that are happening as that rhythm is happening. The passion of your life. How are you showing that passion for love for God and love for other people, especially other people in this season? And then exercise. That's the PPE is the living faith, which is, you know, how are you putting it to work? How are you putting it to work? Let me pray for you and your success in this specific area. But as I pray for you, I want you to consider taking the vitals test. And that's, that's the last thought is this week, take the vitals test. And it's going to be those three questions. But let me pray for you in this area as we begin this journey together. And then let me tell you some ways that you can respond, especially on this Mother's Day. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for what you've given us through, that, through the half-brother of Jesus. That James presents to us a very actionable gospel, a very actionable good news. It's because of the way that he wrote this letter to all of the Jewish Christians that were scattered all throughout that area that we know that faith needs feet. That without have actually putting it to work, God, it's dead faith. Show us as we get into this book how to live out our faith. That our faith would not just be something that we hear. Our faith would not be an event. God, our faith would not be a membership. But that our faith would be actionable and show your tangible love to people that desperately need to see it in this season. Thank you for how you'll do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you consider taking the vitals test, a couple things, it's on the Connect card. So the Connect card will be a little bit different this week. It might take you a little bit longer to fill out, but not a lot longer, because there's a spot there that says, I'm a mom, check that. And there's also a place where you'll answer these three questions. As you answer those, it's going to give us a way to pray for you about these vitals that you're going to hear about consistently through the book of James. And so take some extra time to do it. We're also going to ask everyone to fill out their address because we're going to be sending you, here it comes, moms, you're going to get a free Rita's gift card, Rita's Ice. We want you to take some time, get out of the house, put on a mask if that's the requirement, but go to Rita's and get yourself some Rita's Ice, maybe even with the family, without, up to you, depending on how things are going at home right now. But we want to send that to you. And the only way we can do that is um, to send that through the mail. And so we'll be sending that out um, on Tuesday. But the only way we can do that, we got to make sure we got the right address for you. So fill out the Connect card. Make sure you fill out the address part. It's a requirement uh, this week. 
check that you're a mom. And when we see that you're a mom and we've got your address, we'll be sending this right to your house. And uh, we just want you to go out as a mom and uh, spend some time enjoying uh, some custard, you know, some ice and, uh, and maybe take uh, your spouse with you, your boyfriend with you, you know, somebody special, um, maybe your family, depending on how things are going. But that's the reality. But we can't get that if you don't fill out the Connect card. But the other thing inside the Connect card, very important, take the vitals test. I think it'll show you how much you live out, how tangible your faith is in this season. And uh, I'll see you soon, um, hopefully um, online, but would love to see us start doing some um, uh, more small groups at the church. But we're waiting to see uh, what the governor says about when we can do that. And we're being patient and we're being obedient ourselves. All right. Have a blessed Mother's Day. Have a blessed Sunday, and I'll see you soon.